All right, what's up Traders Point family? How are we doing today? Good, good. Good to see you. I want to welcome uh, everyone across uh, all of our physical campuses, those of you joining us online. So glad to have you. And uh, today we are uh, kicking off our Christmas series of messages. And I'm really excited about that, but I got to tell you that I feel a little bit late to the game on it. I feel like maybe we should have started the Christmas series several weeks ago because it felt like like right after Halloween, if not before, I started to see Christmas decorations already go up. Like how many of you, like you had the Christmas tree up like right next to the pumpkin, anybody? Like I just wonder, because, and, and now normally I'm the kind of guy that um, in a normal year, like I don't really want to see anything related to Christmas till the day after Thanksgiving. A anybody with me in that? I know there's a few of us, a few of us, it's a deeply divisive issue, I know. Uh, but uh, I think it's somewhere in the Bible actually that you should not celebrate Christmas already. I, it's not, but um, uh, but, uh, but this year, I got to tell you, like I was totally fine seeing Christmas trees as early as possible because we need something to celebrate, don't we? And uh, as we start this Christmas series of messages, we're, we're calling it Anxious Christmas, which some of you are like, yeah, like that, that makes a whole lot of sense that we would talk about anxiety around Christmas time. But some of you might be wondering, what does that have to do like with the Christmas story from 2000 years ago. And as it turns out, it has everything to do with it. You see, in a, um, in a good year, like in a normal year, right around the holiday season, anxiety, loneliness, depression, I mean, those things are at elevated levels, like in a good year. And, and many of you already know that. But then you take the kind of year that we're having right now, and it's just gonna be magnified all the more. I mean, we are in a season right now where we have sort of gotten accustomed to receiving on a daily basis via our devices or on social media or the news, just an, a daily updated case count of COVID around the state and around the world. And yet I'm wondering, like, what if we were to get a daily count of the numbers of anxiety? Like, I wonder what that would be. Like, I wonder if we were to get a daily count of the number of people wrestling with loneliness, fear, depression, worry, and panic. And something tells me that those numbers would be at an elevated level as well, an epidemic level. And I think that the effects of that anxiety that we are currently experiencing in 2020, they will stay with us and last a whole lot longer than the pandemic will. So just so that we know we're all on the same page with anxiety, because anxiety can have a number of different definitions. I want to use this one just so that we're all on the same page today as we start. Is anxiety primarily is a, is a feeling and feelings are important things that may or may not be trusted, but it's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. In other words, anxiety is this period of time in which we're not quite sure what's going to happen right around the corner. And so we're somewhat fearful about it. We're somewhat uneasy about it. And this would be not only a pretty good description of 2020, but it would be a pretty good description of the very first Christmas as Luke describes it to us, which we don't always seem to connect those two, especially as we read the Christmas 
narrative. I mean, you, we've sort of grown up kind of being accustomed to seeing the nativity scene. And uh, there's various versions of this, but it's sort of Norman Rockwell-esque. And we see Mary and Joseph and the little baby wrapped snugly in strips of linen in a manger. And we see the, the star and we see the wise men and the shepherds. And it just looks so picturesque. And yet something tells me that if Mary were here today and she were to see that, she wouldn't recognize it. Something tells me that if Mary were to see this, she might even laugh out loud and go, what's that? And be like, well, that's, that's like you and Joseph and Jesus. That's like the nativity. It's like infamous. It's, everybody knows about that image. And she's like, that's not how it went down. Like, I think she would pull us aside and she would say, oh, honey, let me tell you what really happened that night. Can I tell you that Joseph and I got into a huge argument just moments before that? And we said some things that weren't very nice to each other. Could, could I tell you what it felt like to be out in the cold in a barn when nobody would take us in? Could I tell you about how a family member said some really hurtful things to me a couple months before? They didn't believe the whole story about the fact that I was carrying the son of God. I could tell you about some of the fears and the worries and yes, the anxiety that I was going through in this moment because I was just a teenager then and I wasn't yet ready to be a mom, let alone raise the actual son of God. Could I tell you about some of the things that I was experiencing in those moments? You see, with this feeling of anxiety, and so many of us know this, is this sort of impending feeling of like waiting. Like we're waiting for something. What? I don't really know. We're waiting for things to get better. We're waiting to not feel this way anymore. We're waiting to turn a corner. And it feels like it might not ever come. And I'm just guessing that there's a number of you that can relate to me and like, we're not very good at waiting. Like, I'm just going to confess to you. I don't like to wait. I'm not really good at waiting. It's the reason why I don't like traffic jams. It's the reason why I don't like to go to the doctor because I don't like to sit in the waiting room. It's the reason why when I'm at a crowded store and um, the lines are full, I don't like to wait. And so I will very quickly try to assess which line's going to go the fastest simply by looking at the people in the line. And I will make a judgment. I know you're not supposed to judge people by the outside, but I do. I judge by looking at them in the clothes that they wear, whether they're fast or not. And can I just say that uh, I never get it right. The people who look fast end up being slow. The people who look slow end up speedy fast. Go figure. And we're in a year right now. 2020 just feels like one big giant waiting room. And we're waiting for things to get better. And we're waiting for the income to return. And we're waiting for the pandemic to end and we're waiting for this feeling of isolation to come to a close and we just wonder if it ever will. And when you look at God's word, the longest season of waiting for God's people, ironically would have been just before Christmas, just before the Messiah, the one who was prophesied all those years ago who would come, Emmanuel, God with us, that he would be born into the world. In fact, God's people had been waiting and waiting and waiting 400 years to be precise. In fact, uh, this period of time, that, that 400 years would be between the, old, the recording of the Old Testament and the recording of the New Testament. It's, it's often referred to as the intertestamental period. Last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. First book of the New is Matthew. And if you've got a paper Bible, that's just one flip of the page. If you've got a digital Bible, it's just one click of the button. 
But to the people going through it at the time, it was a 400 year waiting room. And in that 400 years, there wasn't really any spoken word from God. There wasn't really any seeming action on his part. And they were wondering, had God forgotten what he said he was going to do? Because in the um, Old Testament, he told us what he was going to do, but it seems like all this time has gone by and, and we're wondering if God had maybe fallen asleep at the wheel. We're wondering if he wandered over to the other side of the universe and got caught up doing something else and forgot. And yet what I want you to know today is what God was communicating through this first Christmas story. And please hear me, somebody needs to hear this today, is that while they were waiting, God was working. And can I say to you that while you are waiting, whatever it is you are waiting in right now, collectively, all of us are waiting for the pandemic to be over. But individually, you've got your own wait. Waiting for that special someone waiting for that someone who used to be a special someone for things to get better again, waiting for your health to return, waiting for this feeling to go away. What is it that you're waiting on right now? And you are about to give up hope. In fact, you're like sort of standing on your last leg, hanging on by your last thread. You're like, I've tried everything. I'm not quite sure. And I, can I just reassure you today, even before you might believe this, could you just at least borrow some of my faith today just to know that while you are waiting, I assure you, God is working. And that's not just something we put on a coffee cup, something that sounds nice to say this time of the year. It is embedded in the Christmas story. And in fact, in order for us to really understand and grasp what Luke is telling us in the Christmas story, we need to understand these two important words. It's the word promise and fulfillment. Like th those two things have to go together. And much of the Old Testament would fit under the category of promise. These are all the things that pro God promises that he's gonna do. The reason why the Old Testament is so harsh and so brutal is because it's showing us what life is like outside of God's grace. And he gives us 300 promises in the Old Testament of what he is going to give us in and through the son of Jesus. And then the New Testament would be fitting under the word of fulfillment, primarily in the work and the person of Jesus. Jesus fulfills every single one of those 300 promises God gave in the Old Testament. And yet if you were living then in the moment, you would have wondered, God, where are you? It's not been four years. It's not been four decades. It's been 400 years. Like I thought you would have returned by now. I don't really understand. It seems like such a random number, 400 years. Why not 300? Why not 500? Why 400 years? And it's not just some random number. It's not as if God was just like, well, I guess now's the time to send Jesus. No, there was some great intention behind the waiting room. And that's what we see in Luke chapter two, starting in verse one. It's the Christmas story. You've probably heard it before. Many of you have heard it lots of times before. And yet one of the dangers with familiarity is that you stop reading it. One of the dangers of familiarity is you stop listening to it. And yet we see these little clues that Luke gives us that while God's people were waiting, he was working and he still is. So look at what Luke tells us in verse one. He says, at that time. Now this isn't once upon a time. 
This is at that time. In other words, Luke is saying this is a specific moment in history. The Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire, right? That's a little bit of an unusual way to tell us about the birth of Jesus, how to get that started. And then in parentheses, he says, this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria, to which I want to say, why is that necessary to tell us? How many of you have ever had like an uncle or a family friend who just can't get to the point? They're like talking to you about their day and you're like, how's your, and you're just wandering off all kinds of rabbit trails and you're like, can I go take a nap? And by, maybe by the time I'm done, you'll be finished with this story. It's like, why do you got to include all these details? And that's just a question I have of Luke. It's like, Luke, why include that little detail there? Who really cares about Quirinius? Well, there's a reason. He says, all return to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, which is something the Old Testament tells us, part of the promise, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. That's where he was living. And he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. That's not convenient at all. Can I get a good amen from all the pregnant ladies? Want to go on no road trip when you're nine months pregnant? And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. 400 years of planning and yet she couldn't give birth in a hospital. She's in a barn. And Luke is so specific about these details that when you read it at first glance, it doesn't really seem like it's all that necessary to the story. You're like, Luke, I don't know why you're telling us this. The other gospel writers don't. You actually look at Matthew's telling of the birth narrative and Matthew sort of tells it kind of like the nightly news would tell it. You know, the nightly news just gives enough detail, kind of at a 30,000 foot level. They don't spend a whole lot of time on it. Just a quick overview to kind of tell you what happened. That's Matthew. (laughs) Mark doesn't even tell us. It's like, Mark, how do you overlook that? Right? Like Mark just skips right to Jesus' life and ministry. John is a bit philosophical. The way he chooses to talk about Jesus' birth is he says, the word became flesh. But Luke, Luke goes out of his way. And we've been in a series in Luke this last fall. I mean, if you remember, you know, Luke is well-educated. Luke is uh, uh, sort of like an investigative reporter. He's writing all of this so that his friend Theophilus would come to believe Luke is going out of his way to give us an historical account. Luke just wants us to know all these seemingly random details about the Christmas story. And we've got to ask ourselves, why? Well, if you really look at it, Luke's telling us why. Luke's basically saying, here's what was going on at that time in history. It seems like God's got them in the waiting room for no apparent reason, but in reality, God was at work behind the scenes. So what was going on? Well, let me give you just a little bit of a timeline of history. You see, um, between the time that Jesus' birth was promised in the old and when it actually happened in the new, there was this group of people known as the Persians. They were gaining more and more influence in the world and this scared the Greeks. And so they decided to rise up and stop them. Maybe you saw the movie about this called 300. All the washboard abs, all right? That's loosely based on this. And they decided to to stop the Persians and a guy by the name of Philip of Macedon unites the Greeks together and leads them into battle. 
And when Philip dies, his son takes over, a young man by the name of Alexander, and he eventually comes to be known as Alexander the Great. You've heard of him. And uh, he conquers the entire known world in just 12 years. That was all around 350 years before Jesus was born. And because of his dominance and the Greek influence around the world, everyone becomes more united in language and in thought. In fact, one of the common phrases that went around the world during this time was that everyone spoke a little Greek. So you see that God was beginning to orchestrate some events so that way the language barriers were come down. Everybody spoke at least a little bit of Greek so that way when the Messiah would be born, news of his birth would spread quickly around the world. In addition to this, about 280 years before Jesus is born, the Greeks take the Old Testament scriptures, which up until that point had been written only in Hebrew and reserved primarily for the Israelites. They take those and they translate them into Greek. That's what the Greek Old Testament is. It's called the Septuagint. And for the first time, everyone, not just the Israelites, was able to read all of the promises about this coming Messiah. And Jesus would be born at a very unique time in history because hundreds of years prior when his birth was promised, the world was very disconnected. They didn't have uh, roads that connected them. But, but in that 400 years, the Romans built this elaborate highway system. And there was this phrase, all roads lead to Rome. And there was also something known as the diaspora. This was something that happened before Jesus was born that the Jewish people did not uh, take very kindly to it. To them, it didn't look like it was a good thing that was happening, but they were dispersed all over the Roman Empire. But as we look back with a little bit of retrospect, we see that God was actually sending ambassadors around the world, individuals, men and women who would actually talk about this coming Messiah so that the gospel would be spread more quickly. Then about 63 years before Jesus is born, the Romans defeat the Greeks and they take over power in the known world. One of the most well-known emperors was a guy by the name of Julius Caesar. And under his rule, things were incredibly volatile. He gets murdered about 25 years before Jesus is born and a new Caesar takes over. A guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. Seems like Luke mentioned him, didn't he? And under his rule, there was this unprecedented season of peace that would last for a really long time all over the world. Imagine that, world peace. Finally, those poor girls and all those beauty pageants, they didn't know what to say in their interviews because they already had world peace. And so Caesar Augustus, during this time of unprecedented peace, decides to take a global census, because what better time to take one than when the world is at peace? Much better too than when the world is at war. His motivation primarily would have been political and financial. He wanted to, to know how many citizens he had so he knew how to tax them. He wanted to know if he ever got attacked again by another army, how, how much men he could recruit to get to his army quickly. And so there's this census that takes place. And he calls upon Quirinius, his right-hand man, to make all that happen. Seems like Luke mentioned him. And registering for this census would require you to travel from, uh, to the town of your birth to file the paperwork. Everybody would have had to do it because the interweb didn't exist yet. 
And here you've got this couple, Mary and Joseph, been visited by the angel, told they were, she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Big problem, though. The promises said that this child would be uh, born in Bethlehem, but they live in Nazareth, 100 miles away. How are they going to get there? Well, all of a sudden, this census pops up. Mary's nine months pregnant. I'm sure that Joseph was super nervous having to go in and break the news to her that they needed to take a road trip. And that's where they go. And I would imagine that to Mary, none of it would have made any sense. I would imagine that she would have been fearful and worried and even anxious. Here she is away from home, away from family, no place to stay, gonna give birth to this child. It seems like God is checked out. Like I thought, God, you were gonna take care of me. I mean, I was visited by the angel. You told me what was gonna happen. And yet this just seems out of control. And I'm sure that Mary had all these questions, just like many of us have questions today about God's involvement in our world. But we see that God was at work behind the scenes, executing all these details around the world for 400 years so that Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, would be born at just the right time in history. Because you see, when we are in the waiting room, God is always at work. It is never just waiting for waiting's sake. It isn't just waiting because God's playing games with us. It is waiting because God is doing a whole bunch of strategic maneuvering behind the scenes and it is no different today in 2020. This has been an incredibly rough year of waiting and waiting. And yet I'm completely confident that while I don't know all of what God's up to, I do know that he's up to something. I do know that he's at work. I do know that he's moving in the lives of people, if nothing else, to maybe awaken us again, to awaken the church once again, because maybe we drifted from where he wanted us in the first place. In Galatians chapter four, verses four through five, I love Paul's words here. It says, but when, can you say it with me out loud, both physically and online? When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. We see that God knows what he's doing. The birth of Jesus happened at just the right time in history. There was Pax Romana. There was all this Roman peace. There was the highway system, the Septuagint, the language barriers had all come down because when Jesus would be born in a very understated way, news of his birth would spread rapidly. And maybe there's just a few of us that need a little reminder of that this Christmas. You have a heavenly father, whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you. You have a heavenly father that whether you see him or not, he sees you. And I just want you to know that as a dad, it breaks my heart when any one of my kids think I've forgotten them, even for just a second, because um, they don't always know what I'm up to. <laughs> they don't always know what I'm doing. In fact, I've got four kids, uh, my, my, my three girls though, they, they love raspberry mocha frappuccinos from Starbucks. Can I get a good amen? All right, it's just, who doesn't love a raspberry mocha Frappuccino. I'm going to get one after the service is over. I think it's just, it's good. And, and, my, and my daughters, they love them. And so every now and then, you know, they, they, they will uh, talk me into rolling through the drive-thru. I mean, they know how to work it. They know what buttons to push. There was one day I was on my way home from work a couple years ago. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to roll through. I'm just going to go ahead and get them unsolicited uh, some raspberry milk frappuccinos. And I'll just take it home as just a good gift from their daddy who loves them. 
and I rolled through, I got them, I go home and my hands are full as I go in. I can only grab two of the three. I left the third one in the truck and I walked into the kitchen. My two oldest are sitting right there. So I just handed it to them because they were just right there. And I said, hey, I got you these. And that's when I noticed my youngest standing behind them, big crocodile tears, lips quivering. Thought I forgot about her. Can I just tell you in that just split second what that did to this dad's heart? Like I about pulled a hammy trying to get back out to the truck, trying to get that third one back into her as quickly as I possibly could. And yet I'm sure to her, it felt like an eternity. I'm just wondering if there's anybody who fears, feels like your daddy has forgotten you, that your heavenly father's checked out, that he's asleep at the wheel. Like you've been unemployed for 10 months. God, come on, where are you? Like in this moment where you needed your spouse the most, your marriage is falling apart. In this moment where you're wondering Hey, what's around the corner? It just feels like there's no place that you can step that is solid ground. And you just cry out in these moments of desperation, whether it's early in the morning or late at night, God, where are you? And can I just tell you that there's been more than a few occasions where I've said those things to him. God, where are you? Like, I just don't understand like how much longer. God, you've already got our attention. God, lesson learned. We've got it. Check. Can you just end things? And can we just get on to a more sense of normality? And God's like, I'm not done working yet. I haven't forgotten. Could you just be reminded that when you're in the waiting room, there's always a good reason. In fact, I'm even beginning to get to this place. I'm trying to muster the faith to get to this place that if God's got me in the waiting room, it's actually a good thing. It means that he cares. It means that he's at work. It means that he's working a blessing right now in the background. And he's like, hey, would you just hold on? See this Christmas more than ever, See, the name that was given to Jesus when he was born was Emmanuel. And the reason why is because it says God is with us. God is not behind us. God is not in front of us. He's not beside us or around us. God is with us. And I want you to know today, this Christmas, that God is closer than you think. In fact, scripture says that he is close to the brokenhearted. And if you are brokenhearted, and you've got to be honest, every single one of us, we're brokenhearted about something right now. That means that God is as close to us as he'll ever be. And right now today, as we look for answers, as we look to alleviate some of the anxiety and the fear, may we, as we sit in this waiting room, may we hold on to these promises that God gave 400 years ago and recognize that he's a good father who will come through at just the right time. I mean, that, that phrase sounds so cliche, but the reason why it's because it's true. God is seldom early, but he's never late. That he's at work right now in the details of your life, whether you see it or not. In fact, in Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 and 16, it says, referring to Jesus, this high priest of ours understands. Like he understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it the most. And a lot of people have asked over the years, like how do we know God really cares? And we could very easily point to the cross of Jesus. And most of the time we do, and for good reason, we point to that and we say that shows how much Jesus cares. If that doesn't communicate his compassion for us, I don't know what will. But we could just as easily point to his birth because that communicates something almost even deeper. 
that Jesus would be willing to become just as helpless and as vulnerable as we all came into the world. One thing we all have in common, as different as we may be, is we all came into the world the same way. Nobody just appeared. We came into the world through a physical birth. And Jesus said, I'll go through that too. And not only that, but I'll be dependent upon two very broken, sinful people as my mom and my dad. And, and, and I'll actually learn how to walk. And I'll go through adolescence and puberty. And, and I'll go through all the awkwardness of those early years. And I'll, I'll go through what it feels like to be sick and what it feels like to be hungry and what it feels like to be tired. Jesus went through it all. Why, why would he do that? Why would he go to all those links? I mean, we know very, very little about him from age zero to 30. Why? It's because he is going out of his way. God is a patient God. And he's working this out to say, listen, I, I've come not just to be a transactional God, but a relational God. And that takes some time. In fact, I'm reminded several years ago of a guy named Father Damien, who was a priest. And he became famous for his willingness to serve lepers. And he served in a village that had been quarantined as a leper colony. And for 16 years, Father Damien lived with them. He didn't live outside of the village. He lived within the village and he bandaged their wounds and he embraced them when they needed a hug and he touched them when nobody else would and he organized schools and bands and choirs and he built homes so they would actually have some shelter and he built 2,000 coffins by hand so that when they died they could be buried with dignity and slowly this village became a place for them to actually live rather than a place to go to die but he did nothing to keep his distance. He didn't separate himself from these precious people. He got close to them. And as a result, they loved him for it. They trusted him for it. And then one day he began his weekly message to them with these two words, we lepers, because you see, he had become infected. And now he was one of them. And Father Damien was no longer in their village he was in their skin and they were in this together. And that is the message of Christmas. That we serve a God who isn't just, didn't come into our world. He wrapped himself in our skin. He came and he said, I will relate to you in every way to reconcile you back to my heavenly father. The great British theologian, John Stott, said it so well. He said, in a world filled with suffering and pain, I cannot fathom worshiping a God who is immune to it. And God came and wrapped himself in human flesh and he was born at just the right time in history to send us the message that you are not forgotten and that he has a plan. And that he says, listen, I, I'm in control and I know what I'm doing. And right now I know it feels like Things are out of control. I know right now that you're searching for hope and there isn't anything you can do to manufacture hope. We really need to lean into the hope that only he can give. Listen, I cannot manage my way out of 2020 and neither can you. The only thing that we can do is lean upon him and trust that the God who has been at work in the past is still at work right now as we sit in the waiting room. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, it says, For there is one God and one mediator 
who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Now, now get this last part. This is the message God gave to the world when? At just the right time. At just the right time. And I believe that God knows what he's doing. I do not believe that he is slow, uncaring, or delayed. I believe he's patient. Right now, the question is, am I still willing to listen? Am I still willing to tune down the the noise enough to hear from the only voice that really matters? Right now, God's got you in a waiting room. And I just simply wanna ask, what will you do with that time? I don't know how all this is gonna come to a close. I don't know where we'll be a year from now, but I am confident that there will come a day when we'll look back together, both individually and as a church, we'll look back and we'll say, oh, now we see. Now we see some of the things God was doing. Right now, he's building spiritual and emotional muscle within us. And it's a chance for us to redeclare the hope that we have in him. I love this lyric from one of the songs that Hillsong sings. It says, I I can see the promise. I can see the future. You're the God of seasons and I'm, I'm just in the winter. If all I know of harvest is that it's worth my patience, then if you're not done working, God, I'm not done waiting. And it's that last sentence that really jumped off the page at me this last week. And it spoke to me. And it was as if the Spirit of God was saying to me, uh, Aaron, are, are you willing? Are you willing to make that your prayer? Because I gotta be honest, that has not been my prayer for the last 10 months. My, my prayer for the last 10 months is God, would you please intervene? God, would you please bring this to a conclusion? God, would you please show us the exit ramp? And I don't know that I've had the faith to pray that. But God, if you're still working, then I'm not done waiting. And maybe could we find ourselves in that place today on this anxious Christmas? Say, God, we we believe you. We trust you. We see what you've done in the past. We know what you've done in the present. We, We know what you've promised for the future. And we believe that you're a good father and that we don't have the perspective that you do. And so if you're not done working, we're not done waiting. And we trust that he's just not finished yet, but he is working behind the scenes to exact his purposes, just as he did 2000 years ago. Could you take confidence in that? Could you take heart in that? I know right now there's somebody that's really, really hurting. There's somebody right now is like, I don't wanna wait anymore. I totally get it. Right now, I know that there's somebody who's like, I just feel like I'm on my last leg. I don't know how much more of this I can take. And right now, what we need is we need this like mutual encouragement from the body of Christ. That's, that's why the church gathered, whether in a, in a room like this or in a living room is so, so important. In fact, can we just put our hands together for those who are hurting? If you're hurting, I want you to receive this right now. Like, don't give up. You are not alone. You might feel like you're alone. You might feel like you can't go on, 
but you're not alone. There are people that love you, that are in this with you. The spirit of God is right there. And you might be like my little girl with those big crocodile tears and that quivering lip. Like, I wonder if he forgot me and I'm telling you that he hasn't. He'll be right on time. God, if you are not finished working, we're not done waiting. Father, we come to you today as a people who are tired and weary of a year that has just beat us up. But God, we're not complaining. We wanna worship. God, we're not doubting, we're declaring that you are who you say you are and you're a good father. And so as we wait, as you've got us in this waiting room for reasons that only you fully know, we declare with a bold confidence as Hebrew tells us that you are our good father and that you are enacting some things behind the scenes that we can't fully see or know. And perhaps you're building some faith muscles within us. Maybe you're weaning us off some things that we were addicted to that weren't for our good. And so God, today, we just raise our hands in complete dependence of you and in defiance of the evil one who would confuse us. God, please unite us together during this season of the year where so many of us need the hope and the joy and the peace that only you can provide. And we declare it in the name of Jesus. And we ask this in his name and everybody says, Amen.